Ziwe village is located near Sardash city. Ziwe village is a, uh, Ziwe is a village near the Iran and Iraq border in the province of Kurdistan. I have two brothers and two sisters. They live in the same house with my mother. Unfortunately, my dad passed away when I was young. So I started working from an early childhood. One day I met a businessman in my village. He was from Razzeya. He used to transport goods from Iraq to Iran. Every day the workers who worked for him all came to our village to rest and they all used to pray except me and the businessman. One day he asked me, why are you not praying? I told him I don't believe it and it doesn't make any sense to me. So he knew that I, I didn't believe Islam. He starts to explain to me something about Christianity. He brought me some small books about Christianity and I read them. Some people found out that I became a Christian and I was converted. The Imam from our local mosque found out. We argued. The Imam told the local police and I that I had converted to Christianity and my mum told me that I had to leave as soon as possible otherwise I'd get arrested. So I ran away to Turkey and it took me 10 days to reach the UK. When I arrived in the UK I applied for asylum and the Home Office sent me to Newcastle. I was there six months and I was going to church in Newcastle but I wasn't speaking much English, not even a word. So it was really hard for me to understand. In February 2017, I came to Bradford and I met Roman. He brought me here. I'm really happy here. I meet good people and I know more about Christ and I pray more. That's his story and he's asked me to read something from the Bible that is, he says is, it means a lot to him. Um, it's a heading, is it's the greatness in serving. And it's when James and John asked Jesus if they could sit at the right and the left side. And they said, and, uh, but, and Jesus said, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard this, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you, and whoever of you desires to be first shall be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Thank you, and uh, Roman's come up from Swansea, Wales, to be here as well. So good to have you back, Roman. Bless you. Yes, children want to come to the side there, used to see. Uh, Adam's going to come uh, to help me baptise. Maybe. Yeah, just uh, just uh, come to one side, Jessica. That's right. Then everybody can see. If you can bring, all right. Do as you like. Then that's fine. <laughs> okay. 
Yeah, you sit back. Stop. Go back. That's right. That's right. That's it. Come in. Okay. So we choose a, a verse for those who have been baptized, and this is taken from John chapter 15, verse 16. So this is your baptismal verse. You did not choose me, Jesus said, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Hardy helps on a, a Wednesday night in Real Hope. You should see him with that vacuum cleaner. He's fantastic. Nobody dare touch the vacuum anymore. Just a few announcements. Uh, if you've got your notice sheet, please read through it. It is Easter, so things are different. So please read through that. Um, pray. Well, on this beautiful resurrection morning, as across the world, Christians rejoice and celebrate in a back-from-the-dead redeemer, one who was dead, but who is alive forevermore. It's lovely to see you all. Thank you so much for giving me the invitation to be present at such a memorable morning service. To see this young man baptized and pass under the waters of believers' baptism. That's a wonderful privilege. And to see you all here. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having an old man to come and take the service this morning. I used to be young. I enjoyed being young. I speak a lot to young people. I'll be in Romania again. I was there in January, be in Romania in July. Over 100 young people under canvas, and they won't have anybody else. They have me to come every year. And I say to them, every year, you see, you look at me, and I'm an old, old man. I, uh, I look at you, young people, and I think, well, as you are, once I was. I made it last as long as I could. I like being young, and I say to the young people, as you are, once I was. And then I say, I'm sorry, I have to tell you that as I am, one day you will be. <laughs> See, so uh, if you feel uh, good to be young, well, praise the Lord. It's lovely to be here. Thank you for your welcome. I'm just uh, one of God's little servants, and it's a great joy to come. 
And thank you for your love over the years. Joyce, too, loved Sunbridge, as I did. And um, she's been gone now four and a half years. And some of you, dear ones, I've been speaking to are walking the same road. I had a strange experience about three months ago. I was speaking in a gospel hall. I get into different kinds of churches, and I go among the assemblies quite a lot. And there was a big congregation, about 100, and there was one lady sat near the back, about half my age. And I didn't take much notice of her, but as she shook my hand, she said, Oh, so Mr. Passmore, you live alone, and you say you wash the dishes and look after yourself, yes? Well, she said, if you're looking for a wife, I'm available. <laughs> I nearly died. I thought, what do I say next? I better be careful what I say next. So I said, I'm getting a cup of tea at the back. <laughs> well, it's lovely to see you all. And I want we turn to the scriptures to a wonderful part of the resurrection narrative. We turn to the wonderful book that God wrote. He only wrote one book. It's his only published work and the only authority we have for believing anything. Let's turn then, if you're following in your Bible perhaps, to John's Gospel, chapter 21, and from verse 3, and a little segment of the resurrection narrative. John 21, from verse 3. And it involves Peter. Simon Peter called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, you remember they were fishermen, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I wonder how he said it. I can hardly say it as he said, despondently, disappointedly, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you also. We'll go back to the life we had before Jesus. They went out immediately, got into the boat that night, but they caught nothing. When the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. I guess they couldn't believe it was him. And Jesus said to them, children, in the Greek uh, lads, they were young men, have you any food? They answered, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, you'll find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, has got to be John, but he doesn't mention it's him, said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it. He was like the fishermen, sweating. They were in their underclothes and plunged into the sea. The other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Soon as they came to the land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you've caught. Simon Peter went up, dragged the net to land, full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. And Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, knowing that it was the Lord. No one dared ask him, Who are you? Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. 
And then Luke records, this is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, I didn't see the program, but a lot of Christian people phoned me to say that on uh, BBC Songs of Praise, it's good that it was on there, uh, just a few months ago there was a, an American uh, astronaut, he'd been into space, I think just the once, but he gave a remarkable testimony. He was a brilliant scientist, he had to be to sign up to the space program, and what is known as an astrophysicist, his life has been studying uh, space and what lies out there and the planets and so on. He was well rehearsed in space. He'd seen the films, read the books. He was clever and smart. And he said, they blasted off from America, left planet Earth, defying gravity. And soon, within a very few minutes, he said on songs of praise, we were in space. Nothing usual, I thought. I've been studying this, seen marvelous films and records and read all about space. I'm a space a spaceman, an astrophysicist. This is my job. And uh, he indeed was a very clever, a pretty cool kind of a chap. But when I got into space, he said on Songs of Praise, first I saw the immensity of it, the vastness of it. My galaxy, I could just begin to see. We have special optical aids. We could see some of the far distant stars in our solar system. And he said, I thought beyond my solar system, there are more, the infinitude of space. Not only did I see the vastness of it, then I saw the beauty of it, breathtaking colors of the universe outside of Earth's atmosphere. But last of all, he says, as I sat in the space capsule with my colleagues, I was trained as a scientist. I saw a wonderful thing. I'm a scientist, he said. I have to follow the evidence before my eyes. And before my eyes, in outer space, I saw symmetry, design, thousands, perhaps millions, we don't know, hurtling through space, all in a magnetic balance together, breathtaking symmetry, and above all, design. And he said, as a scientist, I soon put together, I read all the books and studied it. I'm an astrophysicist, but design, I thought, is inseparable from intelligence. This could not have invented itself. It's an impossibility that it designed itself. Somewhere is a vast being beyond my knowledge that designed this and put it together. Well, he says, when I blasted off from Earth for space, I was an atheist. When I got back from space to Earth, I was a believer. He found his way to a Bible church where he accepted Christ. And on the BBC, he gave his favorite text, which is John 14 and 3. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Today, friends, we celebrate the miracle of the resurrection, a back from the dead, Jesus Christ. All religions in the world, I'm not going to say all other religions, for Christianity is not a religion but a revelation. All world religions trace their origins back to a dead leader and founder. They go to worship 
at their graves. Not all of them, but many of them. But today we celebrate the fact that Jesus has no grave. His remains do not lie moldering in the sand in the Middle East. He's alive. And he's alive forevermore. Mentioned over 200 times, the resurrection of Jesus, brothers and sisters, is the crowning miracle of the New Testament. The resurrection is also the foundation stone and truth of the whole edifice of revealed gospel truth. Luke, the apostle, writes in Acts 1 and 3 that Jesus was seen alive by many infallible proofs. We could spend all day thinking about the proofs of the resurrection. Luke speaks in the book of Acts chapter 1, I mentioned, of many infallible proofs. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, If Christ be not raised, you are still in your sins, and you are of all men most miserable. We celebrate the fact that today we are not dead in our sins. We have discovered something better than religion. We have discovered a living, personal, imminent Jesus Christ. He's alive in Bradford this morning. Amen? Amen. And he's working in Bradford. It's wonderful to see this young man passing through the waters of baptism occurred from right across <coughs> the other side of the world. It'd be lovely to have Anne Wynne to lead our service. She said, be careful where you stand this morning. Oh, well, I will. <coughs> I've been baptized already. the disciples they loved him believed him worshipped him thought so highly of, of Jesus Christ but they unlike us had actually physically personally observed him and seen him brutally ex executed by crucifixion maybe some of them were in the street you remember the story as Jesus wound his way through the streets of Jerusalem an object of ridicule and scorn. A crook, a criminal counted. And they'd seen him, perhaps some of them, the Bible doesn't tell us this, as he carried his execution stake, an object of utter ridicule to his public, shameless execution. They'd seen him crucified in agony upon the cruel cross. They witnessed him buried, dead, in a borrowed tomb. What a mood of despondency and disappointment must have filled their minds after Good Friday, in those intervening days, until on the third day, not three days after Good Friday, but on the third day after Good Friday, nothing but dread and despondency and disappointment must have filled their minds. We read in Matthew chapter 26, Peter, so bold, so full of Jesus, so in love with the Savior in a divine way. He, he was, you remember Caesarea Philippi, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus had said to him, how thrilled he must have been. Simon Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my Father who is in heaven. 
We can say of this young man baptized this morning as he has confessed Christ through, um, what's he called that read the, the, yeah, that's right. I know him really, but it, I forgot. Well, it's lovely when you get old and you forget things. Uh, when J Jamie read, see, friends, flesh and blood didn't do that to him or reveal it to him. His father who's in heaven, God at work in human lives from the other side of the world. That's what the Lord said to Peter. Flesh and blood is not. Yes, Peter was a great, great disciple. But we read in Matthew 26, he followed the Lord Jesus at a distance. All the disciples forsook him and fled. They were scared. And he followed him into Pilate's judgment hall. And had we time, we could read. It says, Peter went in and sat down to see the end. Went in to see the end. He's going to die. The show's over. He's not the Messiah. He's not God. He's not the Christ, the Son of the living God. Man, they're going to kill him. And he went in to see what he, the Bible calls the end. And then in John 21, we read in our reading, Peter, impulsive Peter, he, he was uh, first at the tomb, you remember. He was, a, he was such a, 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 a wonderful follower of Jesus. He was the first at the tomb, but he didn't go in. John was the first to go in, but Peter was the first at the tomb. And we read that Peter says, I'm going fishing, lads. It's the end. I'm going back. That's my job. I've been a fisherman. Jesus called me by the Sea of Galilee. And we loved him and followed him, worshipped him and believed him. But the end has come. He's dead. And he was buried in a borrowed tomb. Surely death is the end. They said, I'm going fishing. We'll never see him again. What? Gloom and despondency and sadness must have raged in the minds of Peter and the other disciples. Ah, but here is an interesting irony for you this morning, friends. The bodily resurrection, the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ has been such a contested fact of history. More historians and textual scholars and archaeologists, paleontologists, have done their best to write scholarly works in an attempt to prove that Jesus never rose again because I was mentioning if he did not rise, the whole edifice of the Christian revelation would fall. So many enemies of the gospel have tried to disprove the resurrection of Jesus. They ended up finding it wasn't true that he did not rise they found out proof that he did rise so many have set out to try and disprove his resurrection that ironically it has ended up one of the most historically attested facts of human history that Jesus rose from the dead and have we time we could think of some of the great politicians philosophers and archaeologists of history who set out to try and prove that he didn't rise from the dead but ended up like the man from space, a believer. Now then, I want you to listen carefully to what I want to say next. Following Calvary. And it wasn't really an execution. It was an atrocity. The blood and the gore and the shame and the agony 
and the cries of the cross. I mentioned on Friday that crucifixion, so intense, ultimate pain, is written into English grammar. When someone is very ill or has something wrong, they say, ah, the pain was excruciating. Got it? It's written into English grammar. It refers to ultimate pain. Many of you will know that God will not allow any of us to suffer pain that we cannot bear. Did you know that? He will take us into unconsciousness. It's a mercy of God. But crucifixion was indeed the excruciating, ultimate pain of suffering. Following the cross, the Romans, they were in charge. They did it. He was crucified by Roman hands. The Jewish leaders were complicit in it. They were there as well. And uh, you'd better know this, that you were there. So was I. We were all at the cross. He died for us all. Following Calvary, the Romans and all the enemies of Jesus must have said, now come on. This man says that on the third day, not three days later, but the third day, he's going to rise from the dead. He had told his disciples this. He had preached it to them. And the Roman soldiers and the political powers of the day, the secular government, they must have said, now this man says he's going to rise again. We'll put him in that borrowed tomb. And we must see that he never comes out. Should he emerge from that grave, we'll never quieten down this Christianity business. And they did listen two things number one having put the savior in a tomb that belonged to joseph of arimathea you remember that nicodemus helped to bury the body of the lord some of you perhaps have been to the empty tomb on the outskirts of north jerusalem and over the gate as you go into the tomb it says he is not here praise the lord what did they do First of all, they sealed that tomb. And if you go to Jerusalem, to the Garden of Gethsemane, you will see the method used by the Romans for sealing a tomb. The dead were buried within 24 hours because of the Middle East heat. And having put the Lord Jesus in the tomb, they rolled a huge uh, limestone disc it's about seven feet tall. You can go and see. It's a specimen cave that's there today. And it was rolled like a huge circular penny piece, rolled over the tomb. It runs in a sort of a gully. It's quite a good idea if you want to do that sort of thing. And they rolled this stone over. You, you, you wouldn't be able to, uh, to move it. It was a big disc of stone. They sealed the tomb. By putting a Roman seal on it. Now I don't know. I've tried to find out what they did. Whether they had a, an official wax. With an impression from a Roman soldier's ring. I don't know. Different ideas. But the Bible says that they rolled the stone over. They shut the Lord Jesus in. And that <coughs> tomb. Was sealed. With Roman authority. The Romans ruled the world. You know that they ruled Britain. All our major cities, London, Londinium, Manchester, all the cities are Latin names. The Romans were the most powerful force in the world. They ruled the world known at that time. 
And as they rolled that stone across, it was sealed with the impress of the Roman Empire. Whether they put a sign up, no entry, I don't know. They might have done. But listen, friends, all the might of the civil power of the Roman Empire stood behind that seal. You better not touch that. You better not try to tamper with that. The whole of the Roman authority stood behind that seal. Entry and exit, impossible. Impossible. The whole of the government of Rome stood behind the seal. They did another thing. They did two things. Secondly, they stationed the Bible record, says, soldiers. How many stood around the tomb? Our King James Bible says four quaternions. Now, there's different ideas of how many that is. And I was never any good at arithmetic. But I think it's about 16 armed soldiers. I tell you what, they were rough boys. You wouldn't meddle with them. Great big Roman soldiers armed with swords and daggers. You don't mess with them. They stood guard. They said, we must make sure that this Jesus of Nazareth doesn't come out of that tomb. If he gets out, we'll never be able to quieten down this great revolution that's taking place called Christianity. So they stationed guards uh, around the tomb of Jesus. How could the Lord Jesus have got out? Could his friends have got him out? Think about it. A few feeble, a little band of feeble followers. Most of them didn't even believe that he would rise from the dead. The Bible says that his disciples believed not for joy when they saw him. When they saw the resurrected Jesus, they had difficulty believing it was him. So the little feeble band of followers of Jesus get him out, not a chance. Most of them didn't even believe that he would rise, that what he had preached to them, that he would on the third day rise again. Well, did the Roman soldiers, if his friends couldn't get him out, perhaps the Roman soldiers got him out, or the, some of the emissaries of Rome. <laughs> Not a chance. They were doing everything they could to keep him in there, right? They were doing everything they could. Sealed the tomb, posted the soldiers. So his friends, they couldn't get him out. The Romans, they wouldn't get him out. None of his friends or his enemies could break that seal and tear the bars of death. But here is the wonder of Easter. When the women got there with the spices, not to see a resurrected Jesus, but to anoint his body, he was dead. He was finished. When they got there, he was gone. He wasn't there. He was gone. And so began the post-resurrection stories and narratives. What a wonderful, wonderful thing that Jesus was risen from the dead. And every Christian here this morning can sing. That's if you do sing. I'm not a singer myself. Um, I did sing once a long time ago. I dropped a big ladder on my toe. And I, I didn't have sing then. But friends, every believer can sing. I serve a risen Savior, amen, who's in the world today. 
And I know that he is living, whatever men may say. Man said to me in Preston, you know where that is, don't you? Over there, where they live, over there. <laughs> Preston. He says to me, I'm an atheist. Oh, he says, you won't be. You won't be. What do you mean? You don't believe in Jesus Christ that he even existed? No. I says, you will when you see him. You'll see him one day. Another lady at the same time at Christmas, she was carrying shopping bags full coming out of Morrison's. We have Morrison's over there too. In that place over there. We have Morrison's. Praise the Lord, William Morrison. I never see the shop, but I think, thank you, Lord, for William Morrison. He was a born-again believer. You know that, surely. And a Bradford man. And a preacher of the gospel, William Morrison. He knew the Lord, and he was an op openly Christian. This lady was carrying bags out, and I gave her a gospel tract. I said, do you want to read about the birth of Jesus? Wish you a happy Christmas. Oh, she says, I don't believe in Jesus. What, don't you? She says, I don't believe he ever existed. But she said... Uh, I said, You're, you've done some shopping in Morrison's? Oh, yeah. What have you got? Turkey, sausages, different. What for? Oh, well, she says it's Christmas. But you don't believe in Jesus Christ, no. Well, I said, I'm a Christian. And you think I'm weird. But listen, you're celebrating the birthday of a man you say never existed and you don't believe in. And you say, I'm weird. Well, she didn't like me. That's her problem. Praise God, Jesus is alive. Let me bring this to a close like this. When I was privileged to be at Sunbridge, and it was a privilege, I came after Pastor Evans, who could ever forget him. He was a flame of fire. Hebrews 1 says he makes his ministers a flame of fire, and he was. I remember my first meeting with him, and he had a fire that caught. He, he set me on fire as well. And when we were here, there was a young man who died in Ilkley. That's, that's not over there, you know. That's over here, right? And that young man attended meetings as a lad that I took in the south. Now, I'm not going to give you his name because he was very smart. He got up in the... Uh, financial realms of local government in Ilkley. I won't tell you his name and his family. But that young man took cancer and he went to be with the Lord. He was a lovely believer. And so the message came. I hadn't been in touch with him, but would I go and uh, just bring a little word at the funeral? And of course, I readily conceded. And at the funeral, I noticed his mom his dad had been with Christ for some years and his lovely wife. Three big boys and two lovely girls, all the family, and a little girl. And I thought, that must be the family. So I went down and said hello to them and explained who I was and put my arms around the little ones. I hadn't been in touch with them for a long time, many years. But they remembered me and I came from the mission here and drove to Ilkley to assist in the service and uh, also in the committal, we pastors call it, when we commit the body to the ground, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And if it's a believer, we put ensure and certain hope of the resurrection to life eternal. Amen. If it's a believer, you can't say if they're not, but if they're a believer, ensure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life. The word hope in our Bible doesn't mean like the world means, oh, we hope to get to heaven. We hope there's life. It doesn't mean that. 
I think it's W.E. Vine that has the most precise definition of the Bible word hope. Confident expectation. Confident expectation. Nice, isn't it? Confident, not just hope, or we hope so. No, confident expectation. I'll always remember, as I stood by the grave, and there was a brother from the little gospel hall where my friend that was a young man, and now he was much younger than me still, but a youngest chap, as the coffin was lowered into the grave, I stood by the boy's mum. I'd loved them all. And I heard the little girl say to her mother, I thought, how sad. See, they had forgotten to explain. Perhaps they were so tearful and sad that their young father had died. They, they hadn't explained to the children very much about what would happen at the funeral. Perhaps that was an omission. I heard the little girl say, she looked up to her grandma, is my daddy in that box? Is my daddy in that box? I'll never forget that. And afterwards, I took the little girl in my arms. I suppose you can't do that now. It was some years ago. And I told her that daddy was not in the box. He had gone to be with Jesus. And his body would sleep until the resurrection morning when body and soul reunited would be caught up in a glorious moment to meet with all the saints who have gone before and to meet with Jesus Christ, the one who loved us best. We loved him, but Jesus loved him best. Well, the little girl still looked puzzled. Why did Jesus rise from the dead? I want to read to you in closing 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the great resurrection chapter, and it's at verse 20. But now... Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What does this mean? Whenever you read in the New Testament about believers falling asleep, it doesn't refer to their spirits. Our spirits don't sleep. The body sleeps. Like the word resurrection, that doesn't apply to the spirit. You can't raise a spirit. It's resurrect or re-erect, stand, standing up again, the body. And when the bodies of believers are lowered into the ground, as many of you and I have witnessed, the body is said to sleep, not the soul. They've gone already to be with Christ. What a joy when we lose our loved ones. And we can say, thank God, I've not really lost her. I know where she is. I know where she is. And I do. I do. One day I'll see her again. And I sometimes think, when she sees me, she'll say, what are you doing with that shirt on? You have a cleaner shirt than that. You have a better shirt than that you could have worn today. You have a different shirt to that. She kept me right, you see. What a joy that one day we shall see them again. Not lost. We know where they are. But here the Bible says that Jesus, when he rose again, became the first fruits of all those whose dear dust lie in the grave. They've gone before us. Their body sleeps in the ground awaiting the resurrection morning when the rapture will take place. We'll be caught up to meet the Lord in a great hallelujah meeting in the sky. To be forever with the Lord. Listen, and to be ever like the Lord in a new body 
Now, we haven't time for that here, but he's the first fruits. What's the first fruits? Well, the farmers in the ancient world knew this is really a, a theological term. The first fruit, when the farmer sowed his field, whether it was oats or wheat or grain, he would anxiously watch for the first fruit, the first little green shoot. And when that first fruit, the little shoot of the harvest he had sown showed, his mind would be at rest. The harvest would come. The first fruit proves the rest would come. And when Jesus rose from the dead, his resurrection guaranteed ours. Amen? Amen. Because he lives, we shall live also. It's all in this great chapter, if we time for it. The resurrection chapter. Jesus' resurrection guarantees mine. How wonderful it was to watch Billy Graham's funeral. Do you remember what he wrote before he died just a few weeks ago? When you read that Billy Graham is dead, don't believe it. I'll be more alive there than I ever was here. I will have just changed addresses. Praise God. Death is conquered. The devil is a liar. Jesus is alive in Bradford today. Don't go home without him. Make sure you receive him. If you don't know him, he's here. He's alive. He wants to know you. And he loved you and died on the cross. And you too can know him as a living personal savior. You can take him home with you. He'll change your home. He'll change your life. Seek help this morning. So many of us here would love to help you and help you to pray and invite. See, he, he's a gentleman. He, he won't barge his way into your life. He waits to be asked. He says, I stand at the door and I knock. A perfect gentleman. And if you will open that door, I will come in. Would you let him in this morning? Thank you for listening. And how wonderful that atheists in outer space are changed into believers walking planet Earth like me and like you. Thank you for listening. Thanks, Samuel. Thank you, Alec. We're going to stand and sing our final hymn. And just a reminder afterwards, if people want to come and pray for Reza and Lee, that we're smashing. But let's just pray now. Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you, Father, that we're not a religion, we're a relationship. And Lord, we just pray this morning that each and every one of us has a relationship with you. Lord, I pray for those people who have been through this church over many years and have heard the gospel. I pray that this morning they will be reminded of what Easter is all about and that it will resonate in their heart and want to search out you again, Lord. We just pray that your word will not return void to everyone who's heard it. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you that your name is powerful. Thank you that we can stand on your name. Thank you, Lord, that we can declare your name, that you are the Son of God. You are alive and risen from the grave. Thank you, Father. Amen. <coughs>
could not hold you and we thank you that you tore that veil so we could be one with you I thank you that sin and the grave have no voice anymore and I thank you that you raised the life again and in that we have been raised with you on high and there'll be one day where we will be standing before you in all your glory and we will be praising your name forever and ever so I pray Lord as we go away from this place that we would never lose the wonder of that cross and what it represents but Lord I thank you that it did not stop there it did not stop at the cross because there is an empty tomb and that's the, what we celebrate this Easter is your resurrection and one day we will be resurrected with you so we thank you in the name of Jesus we pray Amen